0: From the PSIA ASI Satellite Studios in Hood River, Oregon, I'm George Thomas. You're listening to First Chair. What a great guest we have for you tonight. Duncan Pawson from G3 is joining us. Duncan, thanks very much for taking the time to chat. Yeah, thank you for having me. Now, first of all, I do want you to introduce yourself. However, what is G3? Is it based on three Gs? stands
1: for genuine guide gear uh we're an independently owned manufacturer of basically backcountry gear based out of british columbia in canada and we focus on <clears throat> everything from like well basically everything you need for skiing and, and split boarding i'll put it so primarily backcountry focused gear
0: yeah i was amazed by, uh, when i got on your website and saw all the products that you have skins skis and and you have a wide selection of skis i believe you have six models
1: we have, uh, well, we call them five families, so we have like your, I won't go through all of them right now, but I won't go through all what they do right now, but we have the Finder, the Seeker, the Slayer, the Roamer, then the Finder, FLX, so they're kind of five different families for different purposes.
0: And then you also offer a couple of different split boards.
1: That's right, yeah, and then two different split boards.
0: So the Axle and the Scapegoat. Tell us a little bit about yourself, but I'm really fascinated about this company and, and what all you make. How did you get involved with G3?
1: Yeah. um, Well, I guess to answer that question, I'll just give you a bit of background. Um, So I'm an engineer. I have a mechanical engineering degree and then a master's in materials engineering. Um, It was kind of through that master's that I got involved with G3 a bit. Um, My master's was working with composite materials. So you can think of that as like carbon fiber and resin systems. Um, And my master's was based in Vancouver, which is basically where G3 is based out of. They're in a... part of Metro Vancouver in a town called or city called Burnaby. Um, So I that's how I got connected through them was kind of uh, through my background in composite materials and then I got hired on there as a product development engineer and so I work with the skis and
0: boards at T3. Now I'm actually really psyched to be chatting with an engineer uh, because I would love to have a little tech talk with you. Um, we've got 32,000 members. We use the terms camber, tip shape, turn radius, weight, you know, all these things that are important to ski and snowboard design, but what exactly do they mean? And, and I don't mean by the definition, but why is camber important? What are, what are things we should be looking for there and tip shape and, and the turn radius and definitely weight. Um, can you really get into some of those and, and let us know about them?
1: Um, I know you don't want to focus on the definition, but maybe just uh, let me define, uh, camber first, because it does matter. It it is important for what it does. Uh, so I think probably most of your listeners will be aware, but camber is kind of the, if you look at a ski, if you put it flat on the ground, it'll have in the middle of the ski, most skis are raised off of the ground. That height is what is your camber. Um, and the reason why that's important is because what it does is it effectively, or it increases your effective edge. So, if you think about where the tip and the tail of the ski are contacting, um, as you increase the camber, typically that distance gets increased. And so, when you stand on your ski, uh, essentially, that's all of that uh, pressure that you stand on is getting pushed into the tip and tail of the ski, um, and then down through the middle. So, it gives you really good, uh, basically, carving ability. When you it gives you a really good edge hold when you're when you're carving. On the slope. The opposite of that would be what's called perverse camber or full rocker, where you can imagine that camber is flipped, so your ski now looks like a banana. Um, mm-hmm. If you were to put it flat on the ground, <clears throat> the contact length, the point where the ski is actually touching, is much smaller. Um, and so rather than engaging the edge, as you're turning, you're doing more of a, a pivoting motion. You can imagine in the extreme case, if it just touched at a singular point, you'd be able to just literally. Rotate the ski back and forth on the dive, so you're not really engaging the edge. You're just pivoting, and that allows for great uh, turning, and it allows for great uh, stability in powder. But it is really scary and not that great if you're on hard pack trying to carve wide
0: <laughs> carve turns. So, tell us a little uh, bit about tip sorry, shape. I mean, they have really changed over the years.
1: Yeah, well, that's right. So, tip tip shape is is interesting because. Usually tip shape is kind of encompassed within the talk of side cut. Um, so I'll just quickly touch on side cut. So if you imagine now looking at the top of your ski straight down, uh, you can kind of imagine drawing a circle from the widest point of your tip to the widest point of your tail. That is your That knows your turn radius. And so that's what dictates when you're in that edge when you're carving. That's what dictates uh, how sharp you can turn so what is the radius if you were to like just hold that edge and literally ski in a circle what radius of circle would you make that's your side cut and that's influenced by the tip shape and the tail shape uh there's also other aspects of the tip shape like at some point that side cut will there'll be what's known as an inflection point where if you can imagine if your your is getting wider and wider and wider as you get to the tip and then it'll start to curve inwards to form the arc of the tip and that change in inflection, how it curves inwards, can also influence things like how you engage into that turn. If it was like, you know, an instant transition, just a sharp point, you're going to get hung up all the time. Every time you go to turn, your edge is just going to catch, or even if you don't want to turn. So that also plays a big role in how
0: how we uh, smooth out that tip. And... How about weight? I mean, that's certainly something that's affected by a lot of what's going on the ski as well, the boots, the bindings. Um, are there instances where a lighter ski is maybe not preferable to a heavier ski?
1: Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, a lot of that comes down to personal preference, but the general rule of thumb is that a heavier ski does ride better uh, and because it's more damp, it's a little bit more stable. you can you know you can ski through under and not great conditions just because it is heavier the benefits of a lighter ski um, are particularly for ski touring backcountry skiing it's a lot lighter on the uphill obviously if you're a you know a freestyle rider if you're like uh, doing tricks or hitting the park then too heavy can also be a bit of a hindrance because it's you know it's harder to rotate if you're if you're busting 360s or even if you're doing backflips and all that but generally speaking downhill skiing you kind of want a heavier ski
0: so we've kind of rushed through the technical terms and some definitions. How, this, how does this affect what G3 produces?
1: Yeah, totally. So how all of our projects begin as we do, what's called a creative brief, and that's pretty standard across the industry. And so that's where we identify, you know, what points do we want to hit with this ski or honestly with any of our products? What is it that we're actually looking for? Um and then that informs the design and how we get into the prototyping phase. Uh, because, you know, you can imagine that there's maybe a ski that I want. And I'm like, oh, this would be really cool. We should make this. But it's not really what the market wants. And that's, so that's why we have that brief. And that's that's kind of what is our,
0: what's called our starting point and our driving point for the whole project. And what do you feel makes an ideal ski for the backcountry?
1: For the backcountry, Again, it does come down to personal preference. You obviously want something light. Typically, backcountry skis, you're looking at, like, 1,800 grams or less. 1,800 grams would be on the kind of heavier end. Uh, You can find skis now that are – I mean, if we're ignoring, like, ski mountaineering skis, you can go down to, like, 1,200, 1,100 grams. So anywhere within that range, that's pretty ideal. You can – when it comes to camber, you know, you can get skis with camber, without camber. Uh, you can get really narrow skis, really wide skis. That's not so much of a, of a, uh, I would say, a game changer for me at least. Like, typically, I'll pick something mid-range width, so like in the 100 to 105 range, down to 94 maybe. Um, and then the length is the same way you fit size of ski for the resort, just the right. You want to make sure it's the right height for you. But the big factor for touring is is the weight.
0: That seems like such a conflict with the backcountry, because you're saying you want a lighter ski for going up, obviously, but then you were also saying that a heavier ski is possibly better in, you know, more uh, rougher snow conditions, which you might be encountering in the (laughs) backcountry. Yeah, no,
1: you're totally right. (laughs) It's actually a uh, a big topic of discussion among ski designers and different ski brands, because You know, you do kind of want to hit that optimum weight to still make the ski down good. But at the same time, if you make your ski too heavy, it's just going to be a horrible experience overall because you're just going to be too tired to even make those turns. Um, Now, you are right that in the backcountry, you hit all kinds of snow, so you can't just assume it's always going to be soft. Now, you probably will hit more untouched powder than you will on the resort, but it's not always powder, and you hit every kind of snow condition from like, yeah, I don't know, breakable crust to like blower powder. Um, so you do kind of want a ski that can do it all. Now, you can, you can ski it all with better skis um, because you are also, you're skiing less laps than you would if you're at the resort. Um, you know, you're not driving
0: that ski consistently as hard as you would if you were to bring it to the resort. That's actually an excellent point. (laughs) Now, uh, I'd like to give your web address, us.genuineguidegear.com, correct? Uh, Genuineguidegear.com, yep, that's correct. And uh, you've got skis, splitboards, bindings, skins, poles available. Anything else? Uh, Skis, yes. Sorry, I'm
1: just going to touch on those again. Skis, splitboards, bindings, poles, skins. Uh, We do have some older uh, gear on our website as well. Like we have some uh, helmets on there. I believe we still have them. And I believe we still have Abbey bags on there as well. But the big, oh, sorry, I'm missing an entire product category. We have our shovels and our probes, our avalanche shovels and our avalanche probes. That's another big one
0: for us. So I'm looking for a gift for uh, the upcoming holidays. And, uh, my partner's really interested in the backcountry, what would be something I should look at?
1: You uh, want to get them the full package, ski skins, bindings?
0: Oh, heck yeah. Is that what
1: you're, <laughs> Yeah, okay. Uh, well, I guess that's the first thing to start. Like, if you're going into the backcountry, I would say the two main things you absolutely need are you need touring bindings. So whether you're buying what's called tech bindings, uh, which we make. Um, that's the pin style ones where, you know, you need the inserts in your boots and then the, the toe piece is actually two pins that will clip in. Uh, those are tech bindings. You can also get, sometimes they're referred to as solid state bindings or just frame bindings. Um, that's where it looks like an alpine binding, but there's a big bar in the middle of the whole thing releases so you can lift your heel. We don't make those, but um, a bunch of other companies do, like Fritchy, for example. Uh, they make, they make those ones. They're generally cheaper but they're very heavy, so <laughs> they're not ideal. Um, and then the second thing you need uh, are skins. So that's what you would put on the bottom of your ski to actually allow you to walk uphill. So you need the skins and bindings. You can't really go ski touring without the proper gear there. And then you need boots with a pin insert to allow... Oh, sorry. You need boots with a pin insert if you're getting tech bindings. So that's those pin bindings. If you are going to go to a frame binding, you can use any boot, but might not be super comfortable <laughs> in it especially if it doesn't have a walk mode um, and then the last thing which i would recommend though it's not necessarily needed is to get a touring ski you can technically ski you can do ski tour on any ski i did it for two years uh, when i first started but it is a lot nicer if you get a touring ski that weight difference really makes a huge
0: difference to your day Would it help to get uh, a variable length pole or adjustable length pole that you can change for going uphill as well as down, or does that matter? That's an interesting question. That
1: depends on the person you're asking. (laughs) I like like variable length poles um, because I do adjust them sometimes, and also just for storing them away, it's really nice to have them go shorter. If you're going to boot pack and you're not going to use your poles while you're boot packing, it's really nice to... to put them on your backpack um i also know a lot of people that swear by the 60 um it's just less things less components it's cheaper you know there's less spots where it could potentially break um so it kind of that that is you could ask 20 people that question you'll get
0: 20 different responses <laughs> okay <laughs> however your website there's one response genuine gear.com. Uh, if I want to have a uh, place an order and get a gift on time, what's kind of the time frame? December twelfth. 12th. December twelfth. 12th. Order before, order by December twelfth, and you'll get it before Christmas. Okay. Um, anything you'd like to say to the membership in conclusion about uh, G three? Uh, Maybe before I say that, there's
1: one other thing that I actually realized that I should not skip when I talked about what gear you need in the backcountry. The most important thing, <laughs> before your skis, before any of the stuff that's the fun part, you need the avalanche gear. Uh, like I said, we make the pole, uh, sorry, we make the probes and we make the shovels. Um, that's two out of three of the kit. The third thing is a transceiver or a beacon, which we don't make. Um, but those are the three things you absolutely need. So two of those you can find from us.
0: The third you'll have to, unfortunately, go elsewhere. All right. Well, Duncan Pawson, I really appreciate you taking the time to chat with us. Again, G3GenuineGuideGear.com. Great website, very informative, lots of information and some really great products on there.
1: Can I add one more thing?
0: You better believe it.
1: Um, So, yeah, in terms of uh, educational resources, if you do want to learn more, we have a bit on our website called the G3 University, um, which is fantastic there's tons of information on there everything about how to use the gear to just general backcountry knowledge and also the, a way more detailed explanation than what I went through with regards to ski mechanics um, and we also have a pro program
0: for industry professionals so keep that light. well thank you very much Duncan Pawson joining thank us on first chair again thank you t- for taking the time to chat thank you from the PSIA ASI satellite studios in Hood River Oregon I'm George Thomas